for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. Today is Tuesday, June 16th, I believe. It is June 16th, 2020. And welcome to the Fall Podcast. Again, I just said that like three <laughs> seconds ago. <laughs> That's all right. What the hell? It is Tuesday, though. What's going on, man? Oh, I wish I could say not a lot, but it seems like since I got back from Montana, like the switch is flipped and I've been busy every day. I don't know what, oh, it's, what changed, but I yeah, like it. It's, it's, it's busy season, and that's good to be busy, especially on your end, too. I mean, you're, uh, you know, you got a couple things going for employment, you know, which is yep. good. And, you know, you're grinding and staying forward and haven't skipped a beat, so that's good. But talking about Montana, I want to hear about your Montana bear trip. I literally have not heard anything about it other than, I think I know what the outcome was, but I don't think anybody else <laughs> yeah. might. Might so, let's get into that a little bit. I, I I got an update after this, and we won't take this too long for everybody out there thinking, "Oh shit, they're going to get into a big dissertation here." <laughs> but quickly, we'll get into this, kind of give everybody an update, and then we'll get to this interview. But uh, Montana, how'd it go? Yeah, this this won't take long. Uh, <laughs> we didn't see a single bear in five days of hunting. We walked uh, just under forty miles altogether. And uh, we hunted three different, you know, different tracks of public land out there, like all in the Gallatin National Forest. But, you know, we set up camp three different times, and we never saw a single bear, black or grizzly. We saw, that's crazy. I don't know, 1,000 elk, probably 50 or so mule deer. And there was one day that we saw seven bull moose. I'm sorry, five bull moose, and then a cow and a calf all on the same day. Holy shit, yeah. that's a lot of bull moose. Yeah, well, <laughs> holy shit is right, because we saw the five all from a distance, which was cool, and then we were walking back to the truck that night, and uh, there was this little horse trail that cut off a switchback, 
like on this forest service road. It was like half a mile from the truck, very close to where I saw uh, that grizzly last year, same place, same trail. And, uh, we're walking and it's, it's like that time of the night where you can, you can tell them there's an animal there. Like you make out shapes and colors, but you're not really sure what it is, you know, kind of that past shooting light, past camera light, like your brain take, your mind takes over and tells you it's going to kill you, whatever it is. <laughs> and oh, uh, yeah. yep. we're walking down. <laughs> we, we took that cut off on the switchback to get to the truck sooner. And <clears throat> we're walking past this, um, this Aspen thicket, like little pecker poles, and uh, I hear sticks breaking, and I look over, and I just see, like, this dark shadow stand up. <clears throat> it's only, like, 50 yards away. And I'm shooting a lever action 35 on this hunt, so I roll the hammer back, and I'm like, fuck me, here we go. And, like, it was weird. Like, I put my hand out, like, Ellie was behind me, and I just, like, I'm like, hold on, back up. I couldn't tell what it was yet. And she starts freaking out, like, oh, my God, oh, my God. And <clears throat> nothing happens for a second, and I was like, I pull my phone out and I start rolling video and I'm like, hold this as we walk away. And she's like, are you kidding me? Like you want a video? Whatever. I'm like, yes. Cause if I shoot whatever this thing <laughs> is, like we've got to have, we've got to have evidence, whatever happens here. Like if nothing happens, that's the ideal situation. But if we're about to kill a grizzly or something, like at least there's video of what happened right or wrong. Here's, here's, here's how it went down. And she's like, Oh my God. Like, and you, it's funny. I haven't sent you the video, but it ended up being a cow moose and a calf, and which is probably just as you know dangerous as coming across a grizzly that time of the night. But anyway, I roll the hammer back. I hear that stick break, and I roll the hammer back, and I'm just like back up, and then I could tell it's a calf, and I get the profile of it, and Ellie's like, "It's a horse. It's a loose horse." I'm like, "No, it's not. It's a moose." She's like, "No, it's not. It's a horse." <laughs> and I'm like, so this, this horse like falls back over the hill and then another one stands up and comes to the edge of the trees to confront us. And I'm like, back up fast. Like this is a, this is a two year old calf with its mother and we're lucky it's not a newborn. Like she's done this before and she's warning us like, let's get the hell out of here. So yeah. we ended up, we just, we took about, I don't know, 30 yards back up that little cutoff and then we swung out wide and Allie's still rolling video on my cell phone, and you can hear her like, <sighs> and then she's like, oh, my God, I can't breathe. <laughs> she's talking to herself saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. <laughs> and uh, it was – That's funny. It was kind of unnerving, but obviously we, we came out unscathed, and uh, that was kind of yeah. the highlight of the trip. But that was also the same piece of public land, and we ran into a guy earlier that morning, another hunter from Washington State. And uh, he'd been there for two weeks and hadn't seen a single black bear yet. He saw one grizz. And then uh, that morning, actually, he saw, he heard a bunch of shooting and guys yelling. And, like, he thought they might have shot a black bear and were, like, celebrating. And they were just, like, hooting and hollering. And he said, like, wasn't ten minutes later, they came running down the trail into his camp. And they actually shot off a grizzly. They encountered a big boar grizzly. And the guys had fired warning shots off and got their asses out of there. I was like, all right, well, wow. no black bears from the guy in two weeks, and they just shot off a grizzly. We'll go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That's crazy. Yeah. And just just until we get back onto this, but if everybody hears something going on right now in the microphone, 
my wife just kicked on the vacuum upstairs literally right above me. <laughs> so if you hear this weird noise, it's her vacuuming. She should be done here soon. But I'm just going to keep okay. rolling with this. Who gives a shit, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> but, so what was you? What did you think? Why weren't you seeing bears? Like I have no idea. I mean, obviously you weren't the only one not seeing them, but were they not, you know... Was the hibernation, were they not coming out of hibernation like they should be? Or, you know, was it cold? What was the deal? No, it was great. I mean, the weather was perfect. I mean, it was the, the day we got there, the first day of our hunt was like 80 degrees. So, I mean, the hunting sucked because it was so hot. Like, we would just go out, we, we'd go out the last two or three hours of the day, like, and get to the prime location for prime time. And then we have, you know, a two mile walk back at dusk or in the dark, which was, you know, puckering to say the least <laughs> and yes <laughs> uh, I, I i really don't know i mean i i don't know what to say about it like bears were definitely out of hibernation i mean grizzlies were out with their cubs people were getting pictures um we heard reports of a lady who had rented a forestry cabin and she got pictures of six different grizzlies in one day all on this same piece where we were hunting where we saw those moose wow. and it was like and and the grizzlies come out of like the super super high country. Like the black bears will den up, you know, in a under someone's porch or in a log or you know whatever. They're a lot lower elevation, so it's like the grizzlies are out. But where the hell are all the black bears? And I talked to a buddy that works at Kennetrek. Uh, he said even like the Stone Glacier and Sitka guys, they've only killed like one apiece. And then uh, Jana Waller, uh, Skullbound TV, she lives in Bozeman and she has yet to to see more than two bears all season. Um, she's seen sows and cubs and that's it. And I, I don't know. Like she said, there's a lot of double cubs this year, it seems like. So maybe there's not that many sows in heat for this, this season for this year, but that also could mean that's what the boars are killing and eating is those cubs. Like, I, I don't right. know. I have no idea. There's no berries out yeah, yet. That's weird. The wildflowers are just starting to pop. There's a ton of green grass everywhere, so like it could have thinned them out. But I mean, we covered 40 miles, and we saw we looked over a ton of country. I mean, I don't know where else you can go and see five bull moose in a day. Yeah, geez. You know, like, uh, do you think you're a touch early? I think we were late. To be honest with you, late. Okay. Yeah, that's my guess. Is like it got it was so green that they were just thinned out. They weren't concentrated anywhere. Yep. You know, it's not like we were looking at one little food plot and, you know, waiting. We could see for miles. Like, we glassed for hours at a time and never saw a single bear in 40 miles of hiking. I don't understand it. That's wild. Wild. Yeah. Huh. But anyway, I think it's good in the fall. If for some reason I end up back out there, it's we'll see what happens. But I'm not going to push it. Yeah. It was fun. Yep, for sure. Well, that's good. I mean, you guys got out a little bit, got out of the state of Iowa and got some things going on. So yeah, that's good. On my front, last week, uh, last Thursday, it was uh, Keegan and I. Keegan came over and I want to do some farm work on the Whitetail Farm. And I, I did a plot last year. I think we talked about it in previous podcasts. I did a plot on the one acre farm that I established it last year. It came up really good. Well, it's on the edge of an ag field, so 
it's deer were coming into it in daylight, but not like I wanted to. So this year I decided to do some plot screen. So that's what we did last Thursday. We went in there and I worked it up. I didn't spray. There wasn't a ton of weeds in it and it wasn't getting overtaken yet. So I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not going to spray. I'm just going to work it up real good, go over it a couple times. And then whatever happens, happens kind of thing. Cause my biggest thing, and like, you know, is I just try to try to not do as many trips as I can to get as much done in a day as I can. Yeah. So I, I went back there and, and worked it up and planted about a six foot swath, uh, you know, dividing the food plot to the, to the field in this border patrol. It's killer food plots, blend border patrol. I've heard really good things about it. It's supposed to get eight to 12 foot high. Um, wow. it requires eight to 10 to possibly 12 hours of direct sunlight a day. Jeez. which in the spot where I put it, it is going to get sun like all day, <clears throat> basically. So that's good. Um, I'm going to wait till it gets about probably shin to knee high, and then I'm going to hit it with a whole bunch of nitrogen yeah. and just hopefully it boosts up from there. That's yeah, what that I'm stuff needs a um, lot of nitrogen. Yeah, and that's that's the things I've, I've been reading too, and I got a good buddy out in Missouri, which uh, we're going to get him on the podcast. He's a... Uh, He's a whitetail. He works for Whitetail Properties, but he's a a land manager. One of their 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 big land managers for them. Um, real good dude. He told me to go in there, like basically, you know, six to twelve inches high, and literally hit it with nitrogen and make it, the ground look like it's white. Yeah. You know, just like you can't put enough <clears throat> on it. Yeah. Um, th- and just let it go. And so I'm excited about that. Actually, I planted. It was probably around noon, one o'clock, and then by five o'clock that evening, it was already raining on it, and it got a good raining on it. So nice. I'm excited about that because it's looking like we're not supposed to get any rain for the next week. So it did get a good wash. So good. We'll see. I hope. I hung a stand there as well, a new stand, um, trimmed it out, so that's dialed, ready to go. I mean, you could hunt it tomorrow if you want. So. That's awesome. I, I, I'm getting there. My checklist is almost done. I got a few more things to do, but other than that, I feel good about it. Nice. No, that's a, that's a great little setup. <clears throat> we used to. Yep. I filmed a lot with Bill with Midwest Whitetail a couple of years ago, and obviously he uses that plot screen from Frigid Forage, and that that stuff is incredible. How fast it grows and how big it actually gets. It's it's crazy. That's what everybody's been telling me, too. Like I said, I've never planted it before, but a lot of people say when it takes off, it goes quick Yeah, and in the right scenario. And it's really good soil right there. And it was, when I worked it up, it was kind of, it was moist. You know, it wasn't like like saturated wet or like loamy ground or nothing like that. It was moist. So it, it got some good, you know, moistness to it, I moistness. guess. But then it rained. You just said moist it rained. a lot. I, <laughs> I did, and a lot of people don't like that word. It's, it's moist. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and it rained. I worked it in about a half inch. I raked it all in, yep. and then it rained on it. So hopefully it'll just shoot up. Oh, we'll it'll, see. It'll go. That stuff gets taller than a corn stalk, like in August. It's it's nuts. I'm I'm hoping it gets that tall. That'd be sweet. I'll, in all honesty, I only needed about six foot tall because it's kind of in a lower area anyway, and uh, I just need it at least six foot tall. If that'll and and thick. If that works, oh, then I'll be happy. So you'll get that, no doubt. Let's hope so. But 
Well, I, I said we weren't going to do a long dissertation, which this wasn't too long, 14 or 15 minutes. But today, I say we jump over this interview. We've got uh, Jabo Moron from Georgia. Well, North Georgia, North Alabama, that 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 range. Um, cool interview with yeah. him. We haven't had a guy on from the south, really, like from Georgia, Alabama area. But it's really cool to, to, to hear what he does and how he does things down there. So. Yeah, it's definitely a lot different. I mean, it's the talk about salt marshes and, you know, what it sounds it, – to me, it, like at the end of the conversation, like it almost sounds like he's he's applying a lot of these techniques like that you would see like with urban hunters, like identify the quality and then pick the exact right time to go hunt it. Like they're not backyard bucks by any means. He's hunting big tracts of land, but it's – it's interesting to hear how actually just having kids change the way he's, he hunts. And what what kind of made me raise my eyebrow is the fact that he was actually more successful once he started doing this. Yeah, that that's the big thing, and we'll get into that. You know, when he got married and started having kids, he really had to change how he hunted. And once he did that, his success rate went up, like, by yeah. tenfold. So yep. we'll get into that. I don't want to say anything anymore to that, but... Um, yeah, I know. I agree 100% on that. So I say we kick it over there, man. What do you think? Yep, let's do it. All right, let's kick it over that interview. Thank you, everybody, for listening and downloading and all the support. And please go to iTunes, leave a five-star rating, and leave a review. So thank you very much, and we'll see you guys right back here next week on the Fall Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Fall Podcast. And today we are traveling south. We have a southern boy on, even farther south than Kentucky with Josh Prophet. We have Jabo Moore on today. Jabo, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, bud. I appreciate you doing this, and uh, I'm interested to get into this this phone call. I know Justin is as well, because you know we haven't done. I mean, Justin really either. I mean, he's him and I've both been to Texas, did that kind of hunting thing, and I guess I can't speak for any other states. Justin, have you hunted any other southern states? Uh, I have not hunted in them. I've filmed. Uh, I filmed in Kentucky. I filmed, I hog hunted in Georgia, in, in Smithfield, Georgia, and then uh, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> there it is. There it is. I have I have filmed uh, turkeys in Tennessee, so that that's that's about as far south as we go. So I'm excited to have you on, you're man. The only, <laughs> you're the only ten I see. Kaboom, doom, tish. <laughs> no man but it was good I, i'm glad to have you on here and uh get into this but first question is i want to i want to get everybody that's listening to this familiar with who you are so who are you where are you from and what do you do for a living i'm uh my name's Jabo moore i'm 32 years old uh married with two kids two little boys uh originally from north georgia i now live north alabama which is like 10 minutes across the line um uh, I work for a medical supply company. We, uh, we do like, you know, surgical tubing. But uh, other than that, just I love to hunt. That's 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 my hobby, my yep. my lifestyle. I got you. Definitely. Are you? I gotta I gotta ask. Are you a Georgia Bulldog or are you Roll Tide? Roll Tide. Uh, really? Roll Tide. So you're <laughs> yes, you're an Alabama fan. Okay. <laughs> All right. I can I can commend that. well what's funny my my oldest little boy now he's with my wife's family and everything they're they're either auburn or alabama oh wow so So you're a house divided 
Oh, yeah. My little boy now, his cousins and aunts have converted him to an Auburn fan, so which that's fine. I, I'm I'm not a I'm, I guess I'm a little different than most Southern. I I don't care. I'm not a huge guy to watch football every single Saturday. I'd rather be in the woods. <laughs> yep, I get it, man. Definitely. Well, let's kick this off. I mean, we were you and I were kind of talking, and we we're talking about you mentioned you know you have two little boys that do a lot of hunting with you. Um, you know, your family man, and we kind of talked about something that kind of like got brought up to me that like kind of registered and light bulb moment in my head was that, you know, before you said before you were married, you hunted a certain way. And then when you got married, you had to switch it up a lot. And you found that that was more successful than how you were doing it previously. So let's kick it off there. I mean, so let's go pre-marriage. I mean, what, what was your whole deal? Like what, how did you hunt? You know, what was your, you know, were you in the field all the time or was it, you know, one of those things that, uh, you know, you just got out when you could? Uh, Before I got married, I was, I honestly probably hunt at least six, if not seven days a week. But where I hunted was there's a bunch of um, little woodlots in between houses. Like we're out in the country, so it's, not all the houses are out next to each other, but there's little woodlots, you know, five acre woodlot, 10 acre woodlot. And I would just hunt different woodlots throughout the week. Didn't really rely on trail cameras because I was out there all the time. Well, then once I got married, funny story, I actually killed a deer on my wedding day and was <laughs> almost late for pictures because I had to take it to the process. <laughs> That's phenomenal. <laughs> But, uh, after I got married, I worked third shift, newlywed, still was trying to hunt that six, seven days a week. And I mean, that just, you know, I wasn't being a good husband. My wife, it was, you know, taking a toll on her. And so I had to back up and realize, you know, I've got to spend time at home, but I've also, I'm still going to hunt. So I kind of changed my strategy to where. I really got into trail cameras. I really started focusing my time, I guess, differently on how I scouted instead of being in a tree. You know, I may scout from a distance. And it really, like the very first year, it really, really paid off. And it's now, even to now, I mean, I may hunt six days out of the month, but I may kill a deer you know, three, four, five deer out of those six trips. I gotcha. Quality, not quality hunts, not quantity hunts. Yes, sir. For sure. Yep. Yep. You know, I guess to back up a little bit too, I've been to Georgia a couple times, but mainly for weddings. Um, what, what is your terrain like there? We, I'm in North, like very Northeast corner. Let's see. Northeast corner of Alabama, Northwest corner of Georgia. So it's, we got a lot of mountain ranges and you either hunt on top of the mountain or the side of the mountain really. And so me personally, that's what I was talking to my buddy DJ, who's we have recently started filming our hunts and stuff. And he kind of stepped in as a cameraman. So I was talking to him a little bit earlier today and I hunt a little different than people. I like, I hear a lot about, you know, finding the buck beds 
getting in there tight to the buck beds or finding where they're just crushing the food source. I hunt more staging areas. Okay. Like I do, I do get kind of close to the beds, but then I also, what I've noticed like here in the South, normally these deer will not come out or your big deer will not come out into the food source, you know, before dark. Yep. So I've kind of, the way I've started running my trail cameras, the way I've started learning is, okay, I've got him in a food source here, say at 10 o'clock at night. All right. I kind of watch, try to figure out which way he's coming into that food source. Well, then I find, you know, I may find a trail or an idea of where he's coming from. I'll go in the woods a hundred yards, put another camera. All right. Now, where's he going? If I get him on there, which way is he going? And I'll just kind of back it in until I, you know, I find a pretty good staging area where hey he's showing up here 30 minutes before dark or uh, here recently most of my deer that i've killed is midday especially around the rut you know it's between 12 and 2 o'clock really okay so when's your guys's rut falling again a little little later than up here in the north oh yeah that's our ruts normally is that's it's it's funny how it all works north georgia is around the middle of December to where North Alabama may be more around the first of the year. Oh, wow. And we're talking, we're talking about, it could be 30 miles and there's that big of a difference. Wow. I didn't even, I did not expect the first of the year. (laughs) I was thinking December, you know, early December to Christmas. Cause I mean, when we were down in Texas, Justin, it was more like right around Christmas. Wasn't it right before it? Yeah, those 10 days right before Christmas was always, in my opinion, <clears throat> the best rut hunt in Texas, where, yeah. where we were at anyway. West yeah, Texas. for sure. And it's it's definitely all, you know, relative to where you're at. I get that. But so you're, you're doing like a backtrack method, which I've heard of a lot of guys doing with the cameras. Um, that's a very effective method, definitely. I haven't heard a lot of guys doing it, but when you're – when you're backtracking, let's say you go off the food source like 100 yards or so or however far in the timber, you pick him up again. Like Now, this takes some time, though, like I would think. you know, Let's say you get him on a food source, you move in, put a camera out. I mean, are you going back the next day to check that to try to stay on, or is it like a cell cam you're using? Like, How are you trying to monitor that with all your scent control and your pressure that you could be putting on the farm? That's So with the wood lots – from my take with the woodlots the deer are not as skittish i would say with humans but now i am a total scent freak and that's i've been aggravating dj about look if you're going to film me you're going to have to be a scent freak so i even went as far as i bought ozonics i bought all kinds of stuff to help cover our scent because i am a total my dad was this way that's and that's who's taught me how to hunt was you know be as scent free as possible. I don't. I never wear my clothes, even in my vehicle. I don't. They're always in a scent free bag. No matter what, I will always take a shower before I ever step in the woods. You know, spray down, wipe everything down. Uh, but now, as far as normally, it kind of depends on the deer and the situation. That's why, like, my scouting has changed. Instead of hunting all the time, you know, I may back in the woods a little bit at a time to hunt. Now I put a camera out. I may it may be a week, it may be two weeks. It just kind of depends on the deer and the situation. I got you. Or my 
my available time yep. also. Yeah, definitely. And so you're trying to find this staging area, which staging area could be a lot of different things. So like to you, to kind of paint a picture for the audio version of the listening to this, I mean, what is a staging area that when you find it, like what are you looking at that, that you're like, okay, this is where the deer are hanging out before they go out to the major food source at night. Like what, what are you looking yeah. at? What's the perfect, you know, staging area that you see? Either acorns or uh, persimmons. Uh, early, a lot of my staging areas is early season. Now the rut, of course, you're just going to try to find, you know, the biggest concentration of does or, I'm a huge mock scrape believer when it comes to rut, but a like as far as the staging areas, it, it's more early season, and you know acorns are dropping. Or if I find a, a pretty good little batch of persimmon trees, those are kind of my my go to signs. And like when I'm walking through a property, I don't know August, and start you know looking at treetops, trying to find out where these acorns are falling, or if it is September and I walk in and man, these deer have just tore this up. Immediately, there's going to be a camera in there to see what time are they coming into these staging areas. Yeah, and so the persimmons, and we had, there was a two podcasts ago, Justin, we were talking about persimmons with uh, I think yeah. it was Josh or something like that, Josh or Greg, one of the two. Yep. Um, we don't have persimmons up here that I know of. I mean, the only time I've saw persimmons were down in Kansas, and it seems like, you know, when that first like cold hits, like they're basically done that from my experience, I don't know if that's like scientifically proven, but like from what I can see, they're only ripe until like it gets like a frost, I guess. And a lot of people can correct me if I'm wrong, but, um, the persimmons are deer preferring those persimmons over the, the acorns, or is it more of like a, just whatever they can find 50, 50, or like, if you have a pile of persimmons and a pile of acorns, I mean, what are they taking? It, it, one, it depends on the year. I mean, it depends. Some, I mean, these persimmons are sweet, and more times than not, I've noticed that, that you know they'll hit the persimmons a little more. But then there's other years, like the past couple of years, our acorn crops kind of been, I don't know, mediocre, and you'll have like batches, like a few trees that are really dropping, and then you may have another 200 yards of during the tree dropping anywhere. I got you. Okay, so that that makes sense. I mean. So you're backtracking to to find out where this deer's coming from. So has it been so like clear cut, dry? Like when you find him on camera, you know, in a staging area, you hang a stand going and kill. Has it been that easy? You know, like you talk, like you hear a lot of guys like, oh yeah, just hung a stand, went in there, he walked by me, killed him. Like was it that easy, or is it is there a little more work to it and a little more thought out process? Yeah it's deer hunting <laughs> right <laughs> you always nothing's want, easy <laughs> you always want it to be as if you know just that oh yeah i just walked in hung a stand he come walking by i shot him but no it, no and a lot of my early season it, it that's when i thin the does out like that's when i feel freezers i we've made jokes like this little group that i'm with now within range we've made groups about let's say who Who's going to kill the most deer? Even DJ, my cameraman's like, y'all do not want to do this. Because early season, if it's a doe and she doesn't have a fawn, my question is, why does she not have a fawn? Like, if she's a mature doe and she's not, she doesn't have a fawn, why? And yeah. then if, if you shoot them late season 
to me, you're shooting your bread does. And like around here, we don't have just humongous, you know, amounts of deer. I say that now there's times that we can go in the woods and see a ton of deer, but when I travel out of state, like I went to Ohio this year, I'm, I don't ever see that many deer. Like when I come back home, it's almost depressing to go sit in the woods. Cause it's like, well, I'm going to see two or three deer to where in Ohio, I may see 30. Yep. But I got you. So you're a proponent of like shooting does then, right? I mean, you're, you're all for, you know, I, we need to thin the deer, deer herd and the does just to, you know, get that ratio back in check. Oh yeah. I, I'm a Kip Campbell. I, if she, if she walks by me and just looks like she needs shot, I'm going to shoot her. <laughs> <laughs> on the, what's he say? He's, you're on the gravy train with biscuit wheels. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's, but I, I grew up, uh, like the, at school and everything, everybody's always joked, you know, if you want to eat good, go to Jabo's house because, we ate a ton of deer meat or turkey or hogs or, I mean, we, that's just, we didn't go to the store for our meat. We, me and my dad, we may average 20, 25 deer a year. Wow. Jeez. How, how many bucks can you guys kill a year per person? And well, in Georgia, you're <laughs> only allowed two bucks and 10 does. Okay. Alabama, when I was growing up, was a deer a day. Doesn't matter antlers or nothing? Doesn't matter. Holy shit. <laughs> now Alabama is three bucks, and in my predict my zone in Alabama, it's I could shoot a doe a day, and the season's open for basically 120 days. Okay. So you can so, you can kill a deer a day there, you know, depending on you can't kill a buck, you only kill three, right? So and that's right. still a lot of bucks. I mean, we got two. You can kill two bucks here in Michigan, in my opinion. I mean, I want it to be one buck. Like, yep. <laughs> that's me being selfish, but I want it to be one buck rule, and that's it. <laughs> Which I'm kind of selfish too. I'm a bow hunter, and I wish Georgia and Alabama both would go bow only, with just a very, you know, maybe a week, two week gun season. But I totally understand, and like all all my other buddies that hunt, they're gun hunters. There, there's I, of all my buddies, there's one gentleman that I know that is a strictly bow only hunter. And now myself, I'm a bow only unless my little boy goes with me. And that's like last Thanksgiving we killed a six and a half year old, eighty inch eight pointer, out of a, a blind just because. One, it's the deer we want to take it off the farm, and two, my little boy was with me. Yep. He was six and a half? Yes. And it was like 80 inches. Dang. Holy cow. Now, is that a deer you're thinking is like could be on the decline, or is that just kind of the genetics that you got rolling around? Well, it, it all depends. Like this deer, he actually, like four and a half, five and a half, he never changed. Six and a half, he dropped just a little bit. But he was a bully. Like when he walked up in front of the camera, you know, Georgia and Alabama, we're allowed to feed. So I hit walk into the camera and just, you know, nose down, run everything off, sit there and eat, and then he'd walk out. And he's like, I'm interested to see. I got drawn for Kansas this year, which is the first time I'm ever going to Kansas. And all I hear about is how big these bodied deer are. <laughs> so, and for instance, the deer I shot in Ohio this year, he probably went 230, 240. 
and that is a monster deer for me because a big deer around here is 200 pounds yep well 230 240 is a big deer anywhere that that's I think. <laughs> yeah that's a giant deer <laughs> and that the deer that i shot my son now he probably did go two two ten and I've, I've actually got wow. a picture when my little boy sit behind him and he looks like a monster especially around here and they, all my buddies at work and stuff you know they're like man that is a huge body deer just because they know that they're not that big around here yep yeah my my iowa Have buck you, uh, last year was seven and a half years old and on the hoof he was he was right at 200 pounds yeah at seven and a half justin what was your what was your box do you remember oh i tell you the truth i don't think i've weighed a deer since i left new york uh i i just know just <laughs> how much sweat it took to move him <laughs> and then uh the the one i shot my first year here in iowa uh i would i'm confident in saying it was as big if not bigger body than the one i shot in saskatchewan and that was a giant deer the one i that one i shot here was i, I it was a tank it was like you, you ever tried to move a dead bear like there's nothing to hold on to it's just a big you can't Fat move a dead bear. Nothing. <laughs> Dude, you can't. It's That's how I felt about that deer. I, there was four of us that had three buddies that showed up to help me get that deer out that night, and it was hell. Oh, yeah. I totally get it, man. Then trying to lift him in the back of the truck, even with two guys. Like, that's, that's a right. big deal. And it, yeah. really, it really puts it in perspective when you can just walk up and, like, Cam Haynes this thing on your shoulder and be like, well, that's a baby. <laughs> I screwed up. <laughs> Yeah, that's like my Ohio deer. I'm I'm only five eight, five nine, hundred and sixty pounds, and I had to drag that Ohio deer off a ridge through a creek, all the way out about I don't know nine hundred to a thousand yards. Yeah. And when I I finally got him to where I could get the side by side to him, I just hit my knees and thanked the Lord that it was over. <laughs> yeah, I I hear you. I mean, it, the hunting public did a video this year where they packed one out because they were just so far away. I'm like, shit, I'm doing that every time. If I'm in public land and do have to by myself, like, I am not too proud to quarter that thing right there and hang it and make two trips. I'm good. Take take the pictures you need, and it's yeah. not the same. You don't get to have your buddies and be like, oogle over the thing in the back of the truck. But it's like, let's get this done. Let's get it out of here. <laughs> yeah and, that, and that's the thing like if you got the right pack it does not take long to quarter up a deer you know just to get it yeah. in and and get it in a pack and get it in some you know bags or meat sacks or something like that quarter up a deer yeah. you can do by yourself really quick <laughs> yeah yes well cool man i mean so you're you're hunting staging areas you're down in the south where it's hotter than the hinges of haiti I mean, it's, you are, I mean, I bet you every time you go out, you're probably not getting any cooler temps than probably until what, end of November into December or might even be later than that. Yeah. Middle of November, it'll kind of slack off. It'll, you know, start tapering down, but like I rut that's for instance, this year, my absolute best spot on this farm, I only hunted it one time and that was December 11th because we was going to have a light snow. So I checked all my cameras. I, you know, I've already got my mock scrapes out for the, for the rut. I had these bucks showing up right at daylight 
you know, or I might have an occasional one o'clock just deer walk right through the smoke scrape. And so that the tenth, I left work, went straight and took a shower, ran up to my where I would be hunting, hung a lock on, uh, put my bow hang, and I got it completely ready to where all I had to do was step in the stand that next morning. And got in there that morning. Luckily, let me back up my boss. Got to shout him out here. He is not a hunter, but he totally understands that that's what I love to do. So I called him that next, you know, that night. And I'm like, hey, I'm going hunting in the morning. He lets me take off. Uh, crawl in the stand. I seen 29 deer that day, but I, I hunt all day. And at 4 o'clock, the one buck that we have on camera that's a shooter, I shot him at 17 yards. Holy cow. So were, were you in a staging area then when that happened? It's... There's a big, huge stick, uh, probably ten year old clear cut, and then I, I'm up under, up under a bluff, like big rock wall, to where they've only got certain places they can go up and down. So I'm kind of like right in between their bedding and where they're going up this mountain to potentially eat. The neighbor has lots of food plots on top, and I have actually found where they're coming up and down. So I just, yeah, it's kind of they just kind of stage right there yeah. until they going up to the food source is it more of like two with a natural funnel like you're you're kind of pinching deer down right there it sounds like with the you know the rock yes. wall and stuff like that so you're kind of right in the middle of like a you know like an hourglass kind of deal yep i got you yep. B- between pinch points and staging areas that's that's how my dad taught me to hunt and luckily for me he was he was a very good hunter he doesn't hunt anymore but that's his his best friend is who I hunt with all the time. Okay, so are you are you a mobile guy? Are you, are you hunting mobile? You know this stand. It sounds like it was pre hung, but like, you know, are you a mobile guy or is it like I'm pre hanging stands? And then if I need to get mobile, I'll get mobile. Both, yeah, both. I've got several. You know, from years experience on the farm, I've got uh, several lock ons throughout the farm. But then, just like this, I have a lock on right there. But where I need to be to shoot these deer with, you know, their travel pattern does change slightly. And, like, where I needed to be to shoot this buck was 60 yards from where my normal lock-on is. So I took my mobile stand in, and that's what I hung it up that night before. I got you. So I guess one thing I have, and I'm, you know, question that I'm interested in, too, is, like, we were talking about the heat just a little bit ago and the warm weather what are some things that you have to do to hunt in that warmer weather? I mean, if it's, if it's not like any bit of like remotely cool here or in the North or whatever, it's kind of actually hard to go hunting. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like, man, you, your mind gets the best of it. And you're like, ah, the deer aren't going to be moving, you know, like it's, it's just one of those mind games sometimes, but like it's warm or hot most of the time down there for you. So like, is that a mind game for you, or is that just like, this is what I got, there's the cards I'm dealt, I'm going hunting regardless? More of that mindset, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a all-about mental type guy. That I believe you can mentally get over anything. <laughs> so whenever I see, you know, all right, these deer are coming through here at this time, I've got to be in a stand. I don't care how hot it is. Uh, I'm going I'm going to shoot a deer. <laughs> yep. 
Now, are you is are you changing anything as far as like I need to get closer to where you think they're bedded? You know, just because they're probably not going to get up until that last little bit uh, of light, or is it like, you know, I have confidence in my cameras and the data I'm getting, and you know, is it more like I don't need to be close to bedding? Uh, it's more, you know, based off the data and a lot, these deer, honestly, the heat now it does affect them, you know, kind of into October, first of November, I think. But then again, you're talking about like an October, October lull for the Midwest. We kind of see that, but it's more when the bachelor groups break up. But when these bachelor groups are together early season, I mean, the heat from my experience where I'm hunting, you know, especially staging areas, it don't really bother them. I see. Yeah. And I guess, you know, with the deer living there all the time and used to that climate deer, you know, they adapt and everything. I mean, whitetails, I feel like they're one of the, the, the better animals that can adapt to, to just about anything. I think, um, cause yeah, I mean, you see deer, like Justin said, he was up in Saskatchewan where it is like brutally cold and you know, they have to adapt to that all the way down to Florida, you know, where it is like, you're on the face of the sun basically in the fall, I feel like, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, and that's, like, even right now on my cameras, I've already got my cameras out. I've had them out for, I don't know, over a month now just to watch the growth period. Right now I've got a group of five bachelor bucks. You can almost, you know, it's almost clockwork. One to two PM, they're standing in front of the camera at a food source. And that's the hottest part of the day for us. Yeah, definitely. Especially right now. I mean, midsummer or, you know, not midsummer, but get into the, to the heart of the summer. Justin, do you have something to say there? You were going to add something? Uh, yeah, I was actually just trying to look up, look this, look up the name of this. I was actually going to talk about there's, there is like a scientific name for the relationship between body size and geography. Like take a whitetail in Saskatchewan compared to a whitetail in Georgia of the same age. There's obviously a significant difference, but it has to do with climate it's pretty intuitive, but there is a word for it. That's all I was going to say. And I was trying to look it up, but I can't find it. I got gotcha. you. No, <laughs> uh, you were talking about the October lull there. So this is something Justin and I have kind of brushed on before. And, you know, there's all these theories about the October lull. Do I think there's an October lull? Honestly, I, I, I'm on the fence with it. Like, I've killed some pretty good bucks in that quote-unquote October lull. I really, what October lull to me, I feel like is, is like, you know, deer are starting to, you know, hunting starts October 1st here and, you know, deer just like getting pushed around a little bit and probably hunkering down because of all the pressure that's been in the timber, which they haven't had all year. So I think they kind of hold up possibly, but I, I mean, deer are moving, I, I deer are moving somewhere. You just got to find them kind of deal. So, like, how you talked about the rut being so late for you guys, I mean, do you guys have an October lull in October, or is it, like, a little later, or, you know, or is which, I guess, first of all, what what is your opinion on October lull? Do you think there is one, or is it just all a bunch of BS? Me, personally, I agree with you. I don't think there's an October lull. I think, okay, everybody's had all summer to scout, if, if they even scout. That's, to me, there's so many hunters that, Hey, it's opening day. I'm going in the woods and that's fine. I, I'm, you know, I hope you kill a good one. And if you do, I'm going to be the first one to congratulate you. 
But the ones that put their homework in, they're the ones seeing deer early season, you know, consistently. Like you touched on right there. Once hunters start entering the timber, you know, in and out of these food sources, their scents going out there, I do believe the deer move and therefore their pattern changes. So everybody around here, my October lull situation would be like you, they're, they're still moving. You've just got to now go back and refine them. And then your bat, your bachelor group of bucks are breaking up. They're kind of going, you know, to their own home turf, I guess you would say. So they're, they're there, but they've, they've changed again. So now you've got to go find, okay, I had these five bachelor group or five bachelor bucks. This one went over here. This one's over here. You've got to figure out which one that you truly want to go after. And, you know, no, to me, there is no October lull. You've just got to put in the time to figure out where they're at. They're still moving. Right. And I agree wholeheartedly. Justin, what's your take on that? I haven't, I don't know if you and I talk about this in a while. What's your take on the lull? I think there is like a, a, uh, a set of variables that does change what a deer does, a buck does in that middle of October you know, biologically, but I'm with you guys. Like they don't just hunker down and not move for two weeks. Like they're doing something. It's just not what they'd been doing prior to that time or what you expect they should be doing given that it's pre-rut. Like there's that, I mean, a, a lull is the perfect word to describe it. Cause it's, it's not like they're, they all died or disappeared or they're only nocturnal. Um, you know, there is, there are some lunar factors I think that play into that cause it happens roughly the same time every year, but, um, you know, bucks have already broken up by then. So it's not that, I th- you know, there's, this is the time when scrapes and rubs really start to pop up. So you start seeing them to kind of define that range that they're going to defend, you know, but at the same time in the rut, you know, a buck can come from 30 miles away. There's just, there's nothing to really, they, they don't stay there. So I'm with you. There's, I wouldn't call it a lull. Or to say that it's, you know, uh, like a freeze up, I guess, of deer movement. There is a downturn in activity, but it doesn't mean they're gone. You just got to figure out what changed and where they went. Yep. I wish I'd come up with a name for it and brand it as our (laughs) own. We really should. Because I guess uh, one of the analogies I have with it, too, is kind of to go off Justin's point there. Like, you have these bucks that are doing one thing all spring and summer. I mean, they got things popping out of their heads, antlers. You know, it might be a box first or second set. So that I got to imagine that's got to be kind of weird, like a weird feeling. Maybe you haven't had antlers for a couple months. Now all of a sudden, like, I'm hitting shit on, my, on, on trees and stuff. Like, what's going on? I got a feeling that's maybe part of it. But then they're going the whole summer. It's warm out. You know, they, they, they're, they drop their winter coat, you know, they're getting that better look to them, a little thinner fur and all that stuff. And then they come into velvet coming off their antlers. That's gotta be some sort of, you know, like shit, you know, like what's going on here kind of thing. Maybe, I don't know, something like that. And then you come into this October lull, what we're talking about and with the hormones that are going on, I mean, this deer has went through how many changes in the last couple months and now you're throwing on this change where it's literally telling his body that, I mean, you've been laying around lollygagging, doing something for the last couple of months. Now 
you're turning you're you're supposed to be turning aggressive, you know, and do all that and start moving and start doing all this stuff. And it's like I almost equate it to like a teenager hitting yes. puberty. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a teenager, he doesn't know what's going on down there yet until all of a sudden, you know, he something happens, something moves. <laughs> and and it's like moves. uh <laughs> yeah, some something moves. What's this? You know what I mean? And it's like my body's telling me to do this now? Like what the hell? I almost feel like it could be that much of a shock to where, I don't know, I just feel like they're going through so many changes, and it, like you guys said, it might make them hunker down a little bit, or it just they move on. Like Justin said, a buck could come in from 30 miles away. Yep. Maybe this buck needs to move. You know, I don't know. That's And that's, I was sitting here thinking the whole time you was talking, the hormones, to me, you know, that's triggering them. Well, they, you know, they got to, they got to start eating. They got to start bulking up a little bit because yep. just like we see during the rut, I mean, a deer can lose what thirty pounds during the rut, if not more. You know, Midwest depends Definitely, on how much yeah. chasing and everything. So, I mean, I'm like you. Their hormones is what's changing that pattern, and that's why you know the aggression. That's when them bachelor bucks break up, and kind of start. Hey, this is my home turf. It's exactly right. They're going from being homeboys for the last couple months and to now their bodies are telling them they have to fight, yeah. <laughs> you know, or they have to start kicking each other out of here. So they're losing their best friend. So really yep. it could be a sentimental thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. I mean, we could be talking about sort of blue in the face, but I that's kind of where I'm at with it. I'm not going to lie to you. Growing up, though, before I was kind of – new you know this learning thing that you know you evolve into this different stuff like people say october lull and i'm like oh yeah the deer literally just sit down and lay down under you know a tree and they don't move until they're supposed to until a hot doe comes around in november yes i literally thought that for the longest time and now you know being a little more uh educated i guess and learning and it's, I just feel like it's a little bit more than that. I don't think deer just, I think there are certain scenarios where deer will probably just, you know, hunker down for a little bit, but picturing a deer laying down for days on end, I just don't think that happens. No. And, but I do believe that they will lay down and move after night. I, I do get that, but they're moving somewhere in the daylight, whether you got to get tight to bedding, whether you got to get tight to cover, I don't, you know, you got to find them. That's. Yeah. That's my biggest thing. So, yeah, I mean, he's getting out a, of his bed sometime during daylight. Now, whether you've got to be within fifty yards of that bed to see him, or whether you know, he may travel, my my biggest thing, my one thing I think driving to the club is what tree has he walked by today that I could have killed him in? Yeah, yeah. What did I miss? Yeah, even when he stands up at some point during the day, there's a tree close enough that I could have shot him from is the way just my crazy brain works. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. So I guess to I want to do a kind of a hard transition here. You talked about you you drew Kansas this this year. So the first time you're like going to the Midwest, right, to hunt ever? Yes, other than I went to Ohio, I think, two years. Okay, so – you're going to Kansas this year. So what are what what tactics are you going to take to do, you know, to to go into Kansas? Are you like do you feel like there's two different totally sets of tactics like southern and northern or midwest and southern like like 
do you think there's two different things or a couple different things or are you going to be going in with your mindset you know using the stuff that you know from the south and and you're gonna you know implement those in kansas like what's your game plan there i think i will try to do like i said earlier i'm a mock scrape or for instance this year in ohio i found a community scrape as soon as i found the community scrape i text my dad and i said i found them and he sent back what do you mean i said i will kill a deer right here before i leave this week i hung that stand the second day i sat in it i shot a 140 inch 10 pointer nice so and is that public land it's not public land but the owner lets anybody and everybody hunt it okay so it's one of those situations like the week before we got there there was 10 people hunting this 150 acre lot wow <laughs> and then when we got there there was three other guys that was hunting it also I got you. So it's basically public. <laughs> in a sense, that's, that's why I, I tried to, like, my buddy DJ, I, I was telling him, I was like, in a sense, it, it is, like, public because the the one guy that I met on, like, the second afternoon, I went and hung that stand once I found that mock scrape and hung the stand the next morning. I walk in, he texts me, he's like, dude, you're sitting right under, under me. What do you mean I'm sitting right under you? Well, I was actually about – three or 400 yards, but with my light coming through the woods, he thought I was right under him because he was on top of the ridge. But what I, I had you. found was these two ridges, they, they come down and then there was like a bridge. It was almost like a, the way the land laid, there was two ridges that came together and formed this bridge. And then they had two huge drop-offs. So what these deer was doing was they was taking it like a, like a bridge they would walk that one ridge right across that bridge to the other. And this mock scrape was right in the middle of that bridge. And this deer that I shot, he actually came in, got downwind of the scrape, and was lip curling whenever I shot him. Wow. What time of day was that? This was 8 in the morning. Okay, so it was, for, it was like first thing in the morning. Was it rut that then, pre-rut or Okay, I got you. So I mean, I guess going to that Kansas, are you are you hunting public or private in Kansas? I'll be hunting private. Okay, so you're. Nice. I mean, you're going into an, an area where, you know, I'm guessing it's probably some sort of like, you know, th there's not going to be a lot of pressure. I'm going to guess. You know, you won't have probably ten other guys hunting it. I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. That this is it should it shouldn't be, you know, a lot of pressure. This it's a farmer. Which imagine that. He, he owns he either owns or leases a ton of farms and great guy i've actually went out there duck hunting went out there this january duck hunting with him just kind of to set up to see where i might try to hunt come this fall if i got drawn but uh yep yeah i'd probably do that I, I say i'll take my same tactics to me i'm a golfer as well and if you can't adapt to the circumstances you're never going to make it is the way i've always felt yeah definitely and i don't know justin you could probably you know attest to it you've hunted kansas before and i mean we live in the midwest too but i i can't speak for hunting in the south so i if i was to go in the south i guess i'd be trying to do the same thing that i know you know because that's what i know um and then like you said adapt to it 
but uh, I've you know I've been in Kansas the last six years hunting there, and where we're at, I don't know where you're going. The deer are so nomadic, like they are literally caribou. You, the, I feel like the deer does not know where he's going until he gets there. He's like, oh shit, you know, like I'm here, like that's yeah, it's, it's so nomadic. But I'm where we're at. It's it's wide open. You know, I've said it before. You can see your dog run away for two days, stand on a beer can. You can watch him run for another day, you know? So it it's cattle country, but it's, there's giants, you know, there's big deer. My thing I think is to, to try to find obviously food sources, but try to find some good bedding, you know? And I know that's very broad and everybody's like, oh, you would say that, you know, but if you can get tied into some thick areas and get on, find some definitive edge, I mean, you're, you're, you'd be in the chips. You'd be a good starting point anyway. That's we, but the best, the last day I was there, we went into, you know, their rivers that you can, that's ankle deep. You know, it's nothing like a river around here, but we go sit on this river within 30 minutes. We tag out on mallards. So I jump up and I was like, hey, I'm going to look for sheds because it was actually one of the farms that, you know, he mentioned this would be a farm you may hunt when you come out here. I jumped up, went looking for sheds slash trying to see deer trails sign, maybe something that I might like for when I come back. Like you're talking about, you can see forever. I, I come out of this little thicket where I had just found a pretty decent shed and I look up and there's like, 40 deer sitting out in this field. So I just kind of get down in that sage grass and just crawl all the way up to the fence. And I come up and I'm trying to like film these deer through my binoculars. And there's probably a 150, 160 along with eight or nine other, you know, pretty decent bucks all sitting out here. Just like, there's nothing going on. So I, I sent it back to the farmer, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got that deer on camera. He's, he's no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a big a big deer to me is 130-inch deer, for, you know, from the south. Yep. And yep. I, I was tickled to death last year with the one I killed on our farm. He's a 120-inch eight-pointer. He is nothing special. He's got a little bit of mass, but he was, I mean, he was one of our mature deer. Yep. And Did you ever age him? I didn't. No, I, okay. I, I honestly couldn't tell you even the score of the deer I actually shoot. I, I, I mean, just I know how big deer are, you know, from watching everybody else score their deer and stuff, but I've never officially like, hey, that's exactly a 126 right. and 7 eighths deer. Yeah, you, you, you got a good idea. You know, you can look right. at it and be like, ah, I'm in the ballpark here. Yep. And I agree with you, you know, like 130-inch buck around here, you know, that's a good buck. And that's what a lot of guys around here are trying to strive for, you know, a three, four year old right around that same, same range. But like what you're saying, like that's your, probably your top 10% of your bucks, you know, is that Pope and young range. So that's, I I get it. I mean, you, Mark Drury kills one eighties because that's his 125 inch deer to to us, you know? So it's all relative. I get it. Justin kills, 230 inch deer because it's where he's at (laughs) that's relative to him (laughs) exactly and michael waddell with bone collector he did an episode in booger bottom and to me the whole hunting world 
has got too big into well you didn't shoot 180 inch deer so you didn't you don't even know what you're talking about or yep. you know they, they don't waddell in his episode this i don't know 100 inch eight pointer steps out and he smokes him and he turns around and finds him he's like hey where i come from if it's got eight points you shoot it and i can relate being from georgia and like my mindset growing up was hey if it's got eight points i'm shooting it but now you know now i i have grown to where i am trying you know now it's more can i kill a mature deer Again, I don't really care about the inches, but is he a full mature deer? And I think that's it. But going back to what I was going to say, I, I don't want, I wish the world, the hunting world wouldn't classify everything as inches. And yeah, it's, it's you, tough. <laughs> you had a podcast a while back where you talked about you killed that buck in Iowa, which was a stud. You turn right around and go to Kansas and killed a 120-inch eight-pointer, and you caught grief over that. But then, like you said, you was in the moment. That's the deer you was going to shoot. You was excited about it. When I watched that episode, I never once thought, well, God, why did he shoot that deer? He just killed a giant two episodes before this. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. to me, that's where things have went wrong. Yeah, and we we talk about it all the time, and that's something Justin and I get from a lot of listeners is like, you know, we appreciate that you guys, you know, don't care what, you know, you don't shame other hunters. You know, we're the first ones, and I'm speaking for Justin here too. He can speak after I'm done. <laughs> but we're the <laughs> okay. first ones to call you and be like, or, you know, write you on IG like, dude, nice buck, you know, whatever. Um, and that's just how, that's how I was brought up you know, and it, it's, uh, I'm not trying to, and I don't want to sound like I'm trying to justify I, cause I want to go out and shoot a lesser deer. Like, that's not what I'm trying to say. Yep. Everybody's got different goals. If your goals are to shoot, you know, bigger racks and go for trophies, I mean, more power to you. That's great. You know, that's fine. Um, I'm just out there looking for memories, having a good time. And that day when I shot that deer in Kansas, I had, I mean, that was an unbelievable day to me. Like that day will go down in history. You know, Casey and I shot two bucks in one day, you know, to do that, regardless the size, regardless the age of them, it was an unbelievable hunt. I was in the stand six minutes, you know, yep. and who doesn't like killing deer, yep. you know, and it's just, I'll never forget that day. And I'll never go back and look and say, man, I, I really should have held out for a different deer. Um, and it's just, I'm not about that. Like I, I do want to kill big deer. Don't get me wrong. Like it, they fascinate me, but learning more about whitetails and learning how they live and how they, they do things like that's fascinating, more fascinating than me, you know, and for me to go here, I've talked to Justin about it all the time. Like around here trying to kill, you know, a Pope and young buck is, I, it gets me going. Like that's, I shake in my freaking boots when a 125-inch two-year-old or three-year-old comes out. You know, when I shot the 186 in Iowa, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I I, I, mean, I think I closed my eyes and pulled the trigger. Like, honestly, like, you know, the, it, it's, it's the same amount of excitement as, as, I, as I get here than I did there. So if I ever lose that here in Michigan, if I ever, in which I hope I don't, 
then that's when I like really start thinking like, what, what am I doing? You know, I'm doing this for the r- wrong reasons. Yep. I need to rethink things. So, I mean, that's where I'm coming from. Justin can speak for himself too. <laughs> no, it's, <clears throat> you're exactly right. It's just relative to where you are and what's available. It's <sighs> even when I moved to Iowa, like I didn't have any, I didn't have a goal of shooting 150 inch deer. Like I didn't say, heck yeah, first year in Iowa, I'm, I'm holding out for a 150. Like, I'm holding out for the first one that walks in range that's not a three-year-old. And, you know, the very first – and that, and that's what happened to me. My very first hunt was October 11th, uh, 2018. Cooper was filming me, and it was when we had that beautiful little eight-point. And he wasn't little. It was just – he was a young deer. That's why I say little. But he walked across the river, gave me a 10-yard shot, and made scrapes for 15 minutes. I had him all afternoon. You know, and he batted on a little oak ridge 50 yards behind me. And I'm like, that's the first deer I'm seeing in Iowa. It's bigger than anything I've ever seen in New York. Like, do I, do I want to end my season with the first deer I'm seeing? And I was like, no, this deer's young. It's a beautiful buck. Like, people tore me up over it. It was like, hunting public shoots that deer all day long. And I'm like, well, that, that's fine. I'm not, not, you know, nothing against them if they do. I'm just, I don't want to shoot that deer suck it <laughs> so yeah. i was just like it's it's my choice it's your choice depending on where you are how you hunt if it's i don't care if, i don't know this gets me fired up because it's such a <laughs> it's such a bullshit it's such bullshit really like everybody gives so everybody so many problems and it's like you get guys like us who talk about it and say hey you do you man and we all agree but the reality is there's there's probably more people that would crucify you over making that decision because they're like, oh, well, that deer is not six and a half and they don't reach full potential. I'm like, okay, come down here and hunt public land. Like, let's go to Iowa. Let's go to Georgia. Let's, I don't care where you want to go. Let's hunt by your standards in a different place when you only have 10 days to hunt. Let's see how you, let's see how you act and what you say then. Exactly. I love this. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's, you know, we're all competitive people. That's by human nature. You have competitiveness in you, whether you believe it or not. But my competitive nature is competitiveness with myself and goal oriented. And, you know, I never once said I need to kill a bigger deer than Justin. Like, or if he kills three bucks in a year, I never be like, shit, I got to kill a buck now, you know? And, And if I do, it's just because him and I might have some razzing against each other, but it's never like trying to outdo you. Yep, like right. my dad can beat up your dad. You know what I mean? It's just like one upper, <laughs> like, Hey, my dad can beat up your dad, you know, yeah. kind of thing. So I agree though, man, like the hazing, the hunter on hunter hazing and, and hate hatred is just, it's sickening. It makes it not fun. Um, you know, and there's guys around here that I live around it that, you know, it's it, the first thing is the first thing they ask you is, you know, how many deer do you have on the wall? I mean, who gives a fuck? Like, really? You know, like, you know, that I don't, I really don't care. I know those deer when, and I know it's kind of, you know, a lot of people say it, but like when those, when I die, those deer, you know, there's not me nothing. They're probably gonna be thrown away. You know what I mean? Like, but I like looking at them and remembering those memories and regardless of how many I have on there and, and how big they are, you know, so my wife yeah. keeps telling me she's going to sell them to Cracker Barrel. <laughs> there you go. But, I mean, I totally just – I killed 
five bucks last year and four eight-pointers and a ten-pointer. And I caught grief on nearly all of them, even though Ohio deer, which was a, it's my biggest bow kill ever. And I was so pumped and excited about it. And they're like, oh, you went to Ohio and that's what you killed? It's like, dude, this was a humongous body deer. He's got tons of mass, tons of stickers. He was a great deer. And as soon as he stepped out, my heart completely stopped. And when I shot him, <laughs> I couldn't even get out of the stand. Like, my buddy that went with me, I told him about this scrape. I said, you've got to get in here with me because these bucks are in here. And I could see him. And we watched the deer crash. And this other little eight-pointer come in. He And he shot it. And he actually surprised me that he shot it. But, like, once he shot it, he come over to the stand. He's like, let's go get your deer. I was like, I can't climb down. I'm still tore up. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I love mean, that, that's just like, I mean, I shot a little eight-pointer opening day of Alabama with my with my four-year-old in the ground blind and i shot it everybody's like yeah what'd you shoot that deer for well one that's the biggest deer i have on camera at my house and two the memories i just made with that four-year-old when he called his mama and couldn't even talk like that was worth i wish i'd have had cameras and that this is what's got me into filming is all the memories that i've made the past few years now with my son coming up, I want to learn the filming just when he gets old enough to hunt, I'll probably never hunt again. I will film him because I want to capture that moment, that excitement, that I can't even talk to my mom because my dad just shot a deer moment. Yep. That's cool, man. Because that's, that's just that hunting, hunting heritage and passing it down, man. Like that's, that's cool to hear. Like, I, I would never commit. I would never want anybody to stop hunting, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Is it, those memories are awesome, and even my daughter will be three in August. You know, I hope she wants to hunt one day. I'm not going to force her to do it, but even my wife, you know, she got into bow hunting when I met her. I got her into bow hunting in like 2009. Um, she rifle hunted her whole life, but got into bow hunting, and when she killed her first couple bucks with her bow, that. Like, I remember those moments. Like, that was just as exciting for me as it was, you know, me pulling the trigger. So, I totally get it. My, my little three-year-old, or he's he'll be five in a few days. But at three years old, I would put all my turkey gear on, grab my, you know, uh, shotgun, throw him on my shoulders. And in one week, like, we put 11.1 miles by my little GPS tracker. And he watched us kill seven birds as a three as a three year old. Wow! And wow. He That's actually awesome. he messed up one turkey, and me and him went by ourselves. And I called this bird. It took for, it took his bird forever to come up there, and he just zigzag in the woods, gobbling his head off. And he finally gets behind this blown over tree, and he's walking. When he comes out from behind it, I'm going to bust him. And my son reaches down and starts like scratching in the leaves. And the bird takes off, and I'm like, I spin around, I'm like, Briar, you know, what did you do that for? And he's like, sorry, Dad, I just wanted to help you. Because he had watched me raking the leaves to sound like a turkey, and it, uh, instantly, like, the the anger that flew over me so fast just left me. I mean, yep. he's three years old, and he already understood that, hey, this raking in the leaves is helping my dad, and that's what he thought. That's cool, man. And they're sponges, man. They're sponges. Yeah. <laughs> and that's I'm I am very fortunate with him. Like my other son, he's he's only one, so he's not got to experience any of this with me yet. But the the soon to be five year old, 
all he does is watch hunting. All he does is make the babysitter hunt all day long. <laughs> so I'm pretty excited for him to get a little older. Yeah, that is sweet, man. Sorry, I just I just lost power. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the dark now. We got a crazy thunderstorm going over us. <laughs> so oh that's weird. <laughs> no, but that that's that's neat. Like the whole tradition and, and getting your kids into that man is turkey hunting's a good thing to get your kids into first to kind of like because it's kind of a social event in a way. You're not sitting there for hours on end. A and it's like packs. always yeah, a little more action packing the birds you know, they're responding to you. They're talking. So it's yep. like very, very uh, controversial, or not controversial, but, you know, conversational in a way from hunter to turkey. So it's really cool. But the, the coolest hunt this year was my uh, my cameraman, DJ. His son is was five, and we called up like six different birds because as a five-year-old, he's not big enough to hold, like to move around the gun. So, you know, he's on a, a shooting stick, and unless the bird walks in front of him, he just can't shoot it. And the sixth bird we caught up, he shot this bird at like 32 yards and just cold hammered him as a five-year-old. <laughs> and I'll never forget that hunt. But that was one of the greatest of you know my life already. And it wasn't even my kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, cool, man. We're we're coming up on an hour here, and I want to you know cut you loose here. I got to get back to work. <laughs> and uh, I know you got to do some stuff as well. Um, I appreciate you coming on and doing this, man. It was a really cool conversation and, you know, just kind of learning something from, you know, where Justin and I have never really been to hunt. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, I mean, spread the word as much as you can. I appreciate that. And uh, we'll have to do this again. Maybe this uh, get back on after your Kansas hunt, after you kill a 200-inch in Kansas. Um, yeah. <laughs> that'd be great. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, cool, man. Stay in touch, and thank you very much. Uh, Thank you all.